Amen, amen, amen. Well, good morning. Good to see all you guys here. Good morning, okay, all right. Good to have all you guys here this morning with us. Uh, welcome to Living Waters. My name's Josh, and I'm the preaching pastor here. And welcome to church this morning. If we could get the lights on, that'd be great. Yeah, Jared and I, we have a running joke that the lights are there. And he's like, dude, I always forget the lights. And I was waiting in the darkness for him to turn them on. I was waiting. But uh, I, I'm a loving senior pastor, so we love Jared. Everybody say, we love you, Jared. We love you, Jared. Okay. Revelation 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And thank you for being here this morning. It's a great honor. It's a great privilege to worship God with you. Don't take it for granted that you're here. Do not take it for granted that God has given you the gift of life and breath. Don't take it for granted that we get to sing songs of praise to Jesus together as a corporate body. And may God bless in, in some amazing ways as we go through a passage in Revelation 5 that is so majestic. It's so ridiculously good. It's hard for our sinful minds to wrap around the scene of heaven. And sometimes you're like, oh yeah, it's God, glory, heaven. And it's just, that's my prayer. That God would like work in our minds in such a way that we'd be able to see with the eyes of our hearts, how glorious and how great our God is. Okay? So welcome to church. We are thankful. Let's read the word and then pray together and dig in. So we're in Revelation 5. So if you have a copy of God's word, open it up to Revelation 5. And we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read all the way through verse 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... A scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look upon it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. And these are the seven spirits of God. Sent out over all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy 
is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Whew, that's good. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Let's, uh, let's dig in. Let's pray. Father, what a great God you are. Greater than anything we can imagine, far greater than our sinful minds can grasp. And God, here we are walking in from a week where there's been fresh experiences of sin, fresh experiences of discouragement, frustration, maybe anger. And God, there's circumstances in our lives that we cannot control. They're too big for us. And we come with a very small size vision of who you are. God, please forgive us for, uh, for that. Have, have mercy on us. Help us to see you as big. Lord, we can't be anything but insufficient. Lord, we're just insufficient. And God, you are full of sufficiency and power and glory. And you want to pour in courage into every Christian. So God, I'm asking that you would do that by the power of your word through your spirit. Encourage the hearts and minds of believers. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's not saved yet, may they become a Christian today. Repent of their sins. See their need for the slain Lamb of God in their own hearts. And we pray that you would do a great work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our sermon series, The Return of Christ and the Life to Come. We're out of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. We are now into the book of Revelation. And all God's people said... It's like a roller coaster, man. Revelation, here we go. Some of you are like, I'm so scared. I don't know what kind of ride this is going to be. Others of you are like, finally, 13 years have been waiting for this sermon series. Let's go. Okay, well, we're going to dig into the book of Revelation. We're starting in chapter 5, which is this majestic throne room kind of scene right before the second coming of Christ. So I've titled the sermon this morning, Jesus Christ scroll taker. Okay. Jesus Christ scroll taker. That's, that's where we're going. The book of revelation. If you don't know much about this book, it was written by the apostle John in AD 95. He was on the island of Patmos. And if you don't know where that is, that is a Grecian island. And he was there in his own words for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's chapter one, verse six. Now John's contemporaries have all died. So Paul is dead. Peter is dead. A lot of the apostles are dead. John is an old man as he's writing this book, this vision, this apocalyptic uh, story. And so he is writing this book. And this is the only book in the New Testament where you will receive a blessing for just reading it. Chapter one, verse three says that you'll get a blessing if you read the book of Revelation. So for some of you, if you're looking for a practical application this week, what should I read? 
Try Revelation. You're guaranteed a blessing just for reading it. Um, That's pretty amazing. Now, John received a double commission. He was called to write about the things that are and the things that are to come. So he was writing about present day things, mainly the letters to the churches in chapters one through three. And then he's also writing about things to come, which would be apocalyptic end times things. And you can see that in chapter one, verse 19. Revelation is apocalyptic literature. So what John is giving us mainly from chapters four through chapter 22 and the finish, he is mainly giving us the majestic, beautiful truth of Revelation, which in two words can be summarized by this, Jesus wins. Amen? If you're looking for like a really quick answer for those questions that come your way, what's Revelation really all about? You can say, I don't know a lot, right? But what I know, Jesus wins. And as long as I'm on the winning team, that's all I care about. Amen? That's really what Revelation's about. It's about Jesus winning. So Revelation 5 comes to us in a context. So we see this massive, majestic throne room scene, which makes us go back to Revelation 4 to get the full context of what's happening. So Revelation 4 is filled with this indescribable view of the holiness of God. God is on his throne and people are worshiping the 24 elders, the divine council, the four living creatures. Everybody's bowing down before God and worshiping God. Revelation 5, Jesus gets in the mix and everybody's worshiping Jesus and God. So you see everybody responding to this amazing thing that's happening. God's there. Jesus is there. Our sinful minds struggle to think about what this scene will really look like. So I don't know what's going on in your brains. When you think about a majestic throne room in heaven, I'm telling you right now, it's not sufficient. For what this text actually is. So pray to God as I preach that God will give you the gift of illumination to see with your own eyes what this throne room might look like. But Jesus takes this scroll from God the Father and everybody's just worshiping. Everybody's bowing down in worship. Everybody's lifting their hands and their voices to God in worship. Worship is happening all the time. And I had this thought, you know, Watching everybody worship God in Revelation 4 and 5 really points us this morning to the reality of the most important part of our lives, which is worship. Worship is what the Christian life is all about. Did you know? Worshiping God. And here's what I mean. Worship means to give worth to something. You know how I know what you worship? What you give worth to during the week. What do you give worth to? right? Well, it might be this. Can I get an amen? We give a lot of worth to this little piece of technology. We get a lot of worth to screens, which means we worship them in a lot of ways. We worship other things. We worship human things. We worship our family. We worship our activities. We worship our jobs. And, and mainly when we don't worship God for what he's worth, we empty our tank spiritually. Have you ever heard like, well, the point of the Christian life is to serve God. Is that good? Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. It's good to serve God. What about growing in my knowledge of God? Is that a good thing? It's a great thing. It's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is to genuinely from your heart, lift up worth to God. And you're like, well, I don't like raising my hands when I sing. 
I don't care. I didn't say anything about raising hands and singing. Worship is, yes, the singing along with Brandon and lifting up our hands to God. That's a good thing. That's not all that worship is. Worship is your attitude on Tuesday afternoon when that thing didn't go well for you. Come on now. Worship is that thing that, that, that is a challenge in your life on Thursday this week that's going to happen to you. Worship is that surprise that comes into your life that you're like, I had no idea this was coming. How you respond to that is worship. Your devotions with a good cup of coffee on Friday morning is worship. Amen? Come on now. It's got to be the right coffee, right? Coffee snobs. What I'm telling you is that worship is everything to God. All of life, Martin Luther said, is repentance and worship. All of our lives, if we know Jesus, is worship to God. So Revelation 4 and 5 is a picture of what we will be doing when we see the glory of our great God and we see the saving power of Jesus Christ. We'll be worshiping then and we'll be worshiping forever and always into eternity future. So how you doing? How's your worship tank this morning? Empty? Half full? Full? Some of you came in on empty this morning. And you need, to, you need God to pour into you. Uh, I remember driving to Wisconsin, God's country. My mom would say that. She's from Wisconsin. And we were driving on a trip and we went to Minneapolis and then we went east from Minneapolis into Wisconsin. And we were running out of gas. And this was seven or eight years ago. And my wife has incredible faith. When the, when the fill up your gas light goes on, you know, I don't know what your guys' response is to that. I freak out. I freak out every time. Every time I see that, I'm like, okay, gas station, we got to stop now. And my wife's just like, walk by faith. <laughs> what? And so we got at least 30 miles. I'm like, we got three miles. You know, as soon as you see the light go off, you're freaked out. So we're in Wisconsin. I'm like, oh, we're in Wisconsin. There'll be other gas stations. We hit like the mother load of road with no gas stations. That light came on and I am wigging out. Like, we're empty. We're empty. We're empty. I don't see any gas stations here. And Danielle's just like, it's fine, Josh. It's fine, right? Roles are totally reversed. Because I'm normally the one, walk by faith. And she's like, I don't know, you know. And here we are driving and there's no gas station. You guys, we went like 50 miles. I was sweating. I was so nervous. Finally, there's a gas station exit. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You get off. I'm barely touching the accelerator because I'm nervous about it. Listen, church, I have never wanted in my life to hug a gas tank thing, you know, those dispensers, whatever those are called. I was just like, oh, I could drink gasoline right now. This is so exciting. All right. It was good to fill up. Some of you this morning came not for church service. You came to fill up. Praise God. Some of you came just to do business as usual. Church, fill in the bang, check the box. And I'm telling you, 
you need to fill up on this vision of Revelation 5. So we're going to see some, some passages of scripture that I think could help you. Um, but we're going to see this morning uh, just the big idea. The big idea this morning is that we worship God. All right, Worshiping God is the only thing that can fuel God's people. This is, the, this is it. Worshiping God is the only thing that can fill you up. And in Revelation 5, there's not only worship, but it's going to burst out. It's going to burst out of the elders and the angels and the people that are there because they're going to see Jesus do something that only Jesus can do that's going to make everybody worship God. So let's see four worship experiences that John gives us that we can use to fuel ourselves up this morning with God's grace. Worship experience number one, searching for someone worthy, verses one through four. And I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And then a mighty angel proclaimed with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll, break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look upon it. So the passage begins with a search for someone worthy. So God is holding a scroll, God the Father on his throne. There is this scroll here and, and there is a large angel. We're not told who it is. We're not told if it's Gabriel or Michael or whoever. It's just a mighty angel. And he steps up with a loud voice and says, who is worthy to pick up the scroll? And that the, the word for worthy there is weight. Who has the moral weight to come up and the muscle to pick this bad boy up? Off of the throne room of God. And here's the picture of a scroll that would be very similar to that time. This is probably what John saw. Something like this. This is an ancient scroll. You can see the wax seals on the scroll. And so everybody's wondering, well, who can pick this scroll up? Now this scroll is no ordinary scroll. This scroll is a wonderful, supernatural judgment of God scroll. This scroll contains the title deed to the universe. That's what this scroll is. So this is a massively important scroll sitting on God's throne. And, and this scroll will begin the judgments of the end times. The seals and the bowls and the trumpets. So this scroll is the final victory document. This is it. This is the main thing. And, and basically, this is what every Christian has hoped for. Right? This is what every Christian suffers for. This is what every missionary dies for on the foreign field. For this scroll to be opened and justice to rule and reign over all the earth. This is the most important scroll you have ever heard of in your life. Who's worthy to carry it? Nobody. The first reality of this worship experience is that everybody's looking around and no one is going to the throne. No angel is going to the throne. No human being is going to the throne. No, no emperor supreme is going to the throne. No angelic host is going up to the throne. Nobody's worthy. And if you can picture yourself in this scene, picture yourself in the middle of a large stadium with, with hundreds of thousands of people and you're right in the middle of this stadium. And someone is looking at you. Who's going to go down into the middle of that stadium and grab this scroll? And everybody's looking at each other like, not me. You? You? Me? No, not me. I'm, I'm not worthy to do that. Nobody is worthy. 
John weeps. He cries violently because of this reality that no one is worthy. And, and I would just say this. No one is worthy because no one is worthy to go into God's presence and do that. No human being is worthy to go do that. Can I get a witness and amen? I don't know if you guys follow news headlines and politics and all that stuff, but everybody's vying for power and control, are they not? Everybody wants control of the headlines. Everybody wants control of corporations. Everybody wants control of nation building and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, when all is said and done, and we're standing around a throne room of God, you know who's not going up there? Donald Trump's not going up there to grab that scroll. Can I get a witness and amen? Joe Biden's not going up there to grab that scroll. Praise God. Right? Jeff Bezos is not going up there and be like, I got it, guys. I own Amazon. Who cares who you are? The reality of our hearts is that we're all broken. We're all sinners. Every single one of us, from the richest and the most powerful to the most poor and, and uneducated, everybody is broken and no one is worthy to go into that throne room and grab that scroll from God's throne. That's how it's supposed to be. Psalm 108 verse 12 says, Vain is the salvation of man. I just read this this morning in my devotions. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Who are you trusting in this morning? To save your soul and get you to God? Yourself? Some preacher guy? If you're trusting in me, you're in really bad hands, by the way. Some other human being, we are not meant to find deliverance with any sinful human person. We're not meant for it. And when we come into the throne room, there will be this day where the scroll will be there and we'll all look around and say, nobody's worthy. This heavenly scene includes all the apostles. They're all there. They lay their lives down for Christ. They're not going up to that throne so our first worship experience is that we're broken and futile. And I would just say this morning, that's okay. Lean into this brokenness that you have. You're a proud, arrogant, broken sinner. And if you can admit that this morning, you have a chance of worshiping God well. This snobbery, nose in the air kind of attitude, like I'm pretty good. I got it going on. I'm here at church. Everybody bow down. I got it going. That is the number one way to disconnect from God. But if you're here this weekend, you say, I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm not perfect. This is the reality of my life. I swear too much. I think too many bad thoughts. There's a lot of things going on in my life that I'm not proud of. Yes, finally, that is the key to worship to see that you're not worthy to carry the scroll and neither is anybody else. Praise God, you're right on the verge of worshiping God well. When you see you're not worthy to step into God's presence. Worship experience number two is the lamb taking the scroll. So the second experience is the lamb taking the scroll. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, I saw a lamb standing as though he were slain. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. John is crying because nobody's worthy. And then a, a heavenly council member comes up to him and says, it's okay. 
It's okay. There's one who's worthy. The Lion of Judah has conquered. He has conquered sin, death, Satan. He is worthy to take the scroll. He's worthy to come get it. So we look around and we say, nobody's worthy. And we say, yes, nobody here is worthy except Jesus. Only Jesus Christ is worthy to go take that scroll. Why? Because he conquered. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. Jesus conquered, and that word is to win or to have victory. It's nikao in the Greek, which is where we get the word Nike. Have you ever heard of Nike? You ever heard of this? Some podunk company. I'm not sure they're going to make it. Amen? Not sure they're going to make it. But they got the word Nike, they got the corporation name from this Greek word, which means to be victorious. And that's why their theme of their company is what, class? Just what? Just do it. Just do it. Just go get the win. Go get the victory. And here's what I think is so cool about the Bible. Long before Nike was making sneakers or even was a company at all, Jesus Christ was just doing it. Amen? Conquering sin, death, and the grave on the cross, which means he has conquered everything that is wrong with us. Everything that is broken in our world. Jesus is the Lion of Judah who came to save. That's good news. So John looks over. Okay, where's the lion? He's looking for the lion. And what does John see? He sees instead a slain lamb. Now, this is kind of crazy word picture here. Put this in your brain for a while. We have a slain lamb standing and walking around. So for those of you who are animal lovers, this is kind of a gross thought. Because you have a dead, slain, cut open lamb walking around. All right, everybody say that's kind of spooky, right? Spooky. But Jesus is this sacrificial lamb. He's not only the lion of Judah, he's the lamb who was slain. The lamb is referred to 28 times in the book of Revelation. And Jesus is the worthy lamb to take the scroll. So as the lamb, Jesus laid his life down. He was slain as the lamb of God. So there's a few passages I want you to see. Exodus 12, 5, John 1, 29, and then 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I think we can put those up on the screen. Here we go. In Exodus 12, 5, the lamb must be without blemish. In the Old Testament, your lamb needed to be perfect. It needed to be complete. It needed to be worthy of being sacrificed for your family. All right? John, the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, pointed at Jesus as Jesus was coming on the scene. He said, behold, there is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Peter said you were redeemed or you were saved with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish. So Jesus is both lion and lamb. And with his precious blood, he comes up and he takes that scroll. This is going to be the most awesome event of your life. Because if Jesus doesn't come back in your lifetime, we will be there for this, by the way. We are going to see this. We are going to see Jesus take that scroll. And in that moment, it is going to be, oh my word, amazing. He's taking the scroll that nobody else can take and he doesn't even hesitate. He just does it because he's the worthy lamb of God, which means what for our worship? It means that our worship needs to be Christ-centered. 
When we sing, we need to sing about Jesus. When we do Bible study, we need to talk about Jesus. When we pray with our kids at night, we need to pray with them about Jesus. Because Jesus is the centerpiece. He needs first place. Because he didn't just die on the cross for you. He didn't just rise from the dead three days later. He didn't just ascend. He's in heaven now, and he's going to take that scroll when you need it most. So we worship Christ, and that is the second worship experience. The third one is the declaration of worthiness. The third worship experience is the declaration of worthiness, verses 8 through 10. When he had taken the scroll, the four creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation and you made them a kingdom of priests. Jesus took the scrolls, the the worthy lamb and the elders and the four living creatures, they fall down and they begin to praise Jesus with a new song. A new song. That's not easy to do. Brandon, you want to write a new song for our closing here? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's hard. These guys come up with this new song. They start singing it. And they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And the word there is violently slain. Jesus was violently mistreated at the cross. Jesus was spit upon for you and me. His clothes were ripped. His skin was ripped through. Jesus Christ was flogged publicly. Jesus Christ was put to shame openly. He was spoken badly about. All of those things he did so that he could become worthy to grab the scroll. Amen? Save your soul. Jesus was slain and that being slain gives him the power to forgive sins. Jesus Christ forgives people's sins. Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds you have been healed. Come on now. If you're a sinner in here, you know how many sins you've committed even this week. Only the slain lamb of God can take away every sin you've ever committed. And when you put your trust in Jesus and you get saved, Jesus guarantees that every sin will be taken care of. I mean, this is amazing grace. That means there's no room for boasting in this room. Every single one of us, if we know Christ, is at the same playing field of being grateful for the cross. Worthy is the lamb who was slain for me. Because let's be honest, it wasn't just the Romans and the Pharisees that put Jesus to death. I put Jesus to death. You put Jesus to death. Those sins that you boasted in were the very things that violently came down on Jesus. Your anger, your sin, came down on the Son of God. You guys, no one else is going to do that for you. That's why he's worthy. That's why he's worthy to be sung about. It's why he's worthy... Because his being slain forgives sins. It also ransoms people for God all over the world. Jesus purchased. If you don't know what ransom means, it means purchase. Jesus bought sinners for himself from all over the world, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Amen? 
There's what it means. Christianity is a global and very ethnically diverse gathering. Praise God, right? From every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jesus was way ahead of the curve. Way ahead, saying, look, it's not the skin tone of your skin that matters. It is literally your faith in me that matters. And any person from any country, no matter what your background is, if you believe in Christ, you are part of the family of God. I'm telling you, our, our society is preaching you a false gospel every day about ethnic separation. And I'm telling you, Jesus says, look, I've already purchased people. How many people groups? All of them. Come on now. So therefore, every Christian is bonded together with every other Christian, regardless of ethnicity and background. Praise God. This is the power of our Jesus. He is the slain lamb and that death brought us to life. Man, that's good. You might be rich. You might be suburban. You might be poor. You might be urban. You might be whatever else. Brothers and sisters, we are together in the body of Christ because of the slain lamb of God. Jesus also makes believers a kingdom of priests, which means that we all have access to God. Every person who has believed in Christ has full access, unfettered access to the kingdom of God through the mediator, Jesus Christ. So as we close up that point, we have to declare the worthiness of Jesus. Jesus, you are worthy. You are the one that brings us all together. You're the one that redeems us. You're the one that saves us. You're the one that does all that. And the more we declare that as part of our gatherings, small groups, Sunday mornings, coffee with another Christian, we declare Jesus' worthiness, the more glory Jesus gets and the more blessing we get. So our final worship experience is this burst of praise in verse 11 through 14. Many angels, verse 11, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. So this, this burst of praise comes. I mean, we're already praising God. Now it's just bursting out to every angel and every person in heaven and on earth. Everybody is praising God. And I just want to just make a quick side comment. Myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands. What's that about? It's an incalculable number. It basically means in layman's terms that John looked out and he's like, dude, I can't count the number of people. Myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. I mean, I can't even measure the amount of people that are here. And so I want to just encourage you that way. Heaven is a real big place. Seems like there's going to be a lot of people there, praise God, who have experienced the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. That is amazing. And it, it tells us that there's an incalculable amount of people which helps you shut up the Jehovah's Witnesses. Can I get an amen? Get them. 144,000 people in heaven. Are you kidding me? Read your Bible. Fires me up. Sorry. I'm not anti-J-Dub. I'm just... Anti-J-Dub, I am, I am. <laughs> Just, you got to get them. Go get them. So everybody's worshiping God. Untold number. And they're saying, verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb 
be praise and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. Here's, here's just how I want to close this sermon. This, this scene, I, you guys, God is receiving worship. Like just saying, yep, yes, bring it. This is totally appropriate for you to bring me worship and praise. And we're getting fired up and we're singing louder and we're praising God louder and we're getting into this worship thing and we're praising God and the lamb, Jesus. Saying, bring it on, man. Bring it on. Bring that worship because I am worthy. I am worthy of it. And Jesus is not refusing his worship, which means something very amazing. God is God. Jesus is God. Equal with the Father in every way. Receiving worship in every way. And there's this bursting forward of praise all over heaven. And that is really what we need on a Thursday when our attitudes suck. Oh, we need this vision of God. To say, oh God, you're so great. Jesus is so great. He's so worthy that the Thursday afternoon trial of my attitude doesn't matter as much as I think it does. I can get through this because there's going to be a day when all of this is gone. And it's just the Father and Christ and the Spirit of God receiving glory. And you guys, we are going to be so happy in that moment. We are going to be so loving at that moment. We are going to be so thrilled that we're there. And may God give us the grace to see this and help this fill up our gas tanks for the week. We're mainly meant to worship God. So the search for someone worthy and the lamb taking the scroll and the declaration of worthiness and this burst of praise, that's what's going to happen in heaven right before the second coming of Christ. So if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, we get to be a part of that scene. Praise the Lord. And if he does, well, we can ask for the instant replay or something, right? So how is God working in your heart? Are you filling up on Jesus? Where's your gas tank at? Is your view of Jesus as big as Revelation 5's is? For some of you, you're going to have this opportunity to respond. We'll put up some response thoughts on the screen here. If you need to be saved, you can respond. We want to help you come to know Jesus. Did you know since last Sunday, two ladies have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior since last Sunday? Yeah, praise God. And one of the ladies was in service at 830 for the first time as a Christian. That's, that's you guys, that is so ridiculously cool. So some of you need to be saved. You can respond, get saved. It's an open invitation. Two, some of you need help and you just need to be poured into. And you might be thinking, hey, surely God doesn't have enough resources for me, right? I don't think so. He's got more than enough for you. So let's just respond to God. However God's working in your life, take that to the Lord. The worship team will come up and close us up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and Revelation 5, so rich, so good. Lord, we long for that day. God, to see you in your holiness, to see Jesus, our Savior, face to face. We long for that day of victory. 
Lord, we mess it up so much. Our sin is so ridiculous. So Lord, please forgive us. Help us to come to you as open-hearted sinners, just ready to receive mercy and grace. Lord, be with every Christian here. May you satisfy them in new ways. And Lord, be with those who don't know Christ yet. Lord, may this be the, the beginning of their hearts being stirred up to believe in Jesus. And we pray that you'd help us to respond now. In Jesus' name, amen.